Amen. Well, good evening, everybody. Um, can we just give our technical team and our service team a hand tonight? We love you guys so much. Um, I, was, I was back there when things were starting to go horribly south, and inside I was just laughing because I was like, yeah, we're, we're talking about spiritual warfare tonight, so, you know, we see you, devil. Um, it's just as simple as that. So we're on the last evening of our Ephesians series on our images of the church in Ephesians. And I would like you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to start reading from verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And it says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So I think we all realize tonight that the battle is real, okay? Um, we watched another battle yesterday, didn't we? <laughs> Go Boca, yes. I, I must admit, I, I was kind of wondering if, depending on what happened in the game, if I might need to rewrite the sermon. But um, we, are, we are all just at the end of figuring out what a victory feels like, of how great it is to have victory. And that's good tonight. Keep that in mind as we keep talking. And so the battle is absolutely real. And the thing about this battle is that if you are a Christian in the room tonight, for the rest of your life, you are going to have to fight with the weapons of warfare that God has given you. No matter how victorious you are, you're going to have to keep fighting. It is a lifelong battle. In verse 13 of what we've just read, Paul says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So let me help you out. The evil day is every moment of your life. <laughs> Who feels like they've had an evil day recently? <laughs> the reason for that is it's not some end time event. The evil day is every moment of our life because every moment of our life, the enemy is coming against us to ensnare us in lies, to prove to us things we already believe about ourselves. The battle rages in here. Can anybody agree with me? It's in our mind and it's in our heart far more than it's outside. Because we already believe lies about ourselves. We believe lies about God. We believe lies about how the world works. And I believe that this is the greatest power of the enemy, that he comes alongside us and just keeps us believing that lie. That he filters our understanding of who God is, of who we are, of who the world is, and it turns into a lie. In fact, I've had visions of myself sometimes where I'm panicked and freaked out, and I realize like the demon's sitting over there in the corner, and he's sharpening his claws, and he's WhatsApping his friends, and he's instering, because I'm doing all the work for him. 
I'm beating myself down so hard. I'm so in disagreement with God. And he, he just whispered in my ear. And now I'm doing all the work for him. And I, and I really want to reiterate this. You know, it's good to rebuke things. It's good to stand against the enemy when he's there. But half the time, the problem, in fact, 80% of the time, the problem's here. And the problem's here. And as I've often said to people, I can't rebuke you out of you. <laughs> Rebuking a demon out of you, that, that's authority in Jesus' name. But I can't rebuke me out of me, and I cannot rebuke you out of you. And so we have to do the work to gain victory. The good news is, is that even though the evil day is every moment of our life, Paul says that we must stand, and after having done everything, stand firm. So who is our enemy? Well, Ephesians 6 verse 12 tells us, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Can you see, it doesn't say there that our battle is against our mean boss. It doesn't say there that our battle is, a, is against the sinners out there. It doesn't say our battle is against, you know, people in the church who said things about us. Who is the battle against? It's against the spiritual realms. John 8 verse 44, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And you know, he was not polite to the Pharisees. He says, he starts off the scripture by saying, you are just like your father, the devil. Who wants Jesus to say that to them? <laughs> not me. But then Jesus explains what the devil is. And he says, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Um, one version I read says, for when he speaks, he, he speaks, oh Lord, it's gone out of my head. It was so good and now it's just God. I should have written it down. Any case, it'll come back. But he's a liar. That's all he can do. Oh, when he speaks, he speaks his native tongue, which is to lie. <laughs> that is what the enemy does. He cannot do anything but lie. And all his lies are about the fact that God isn't good, that God doesn't love us, that God isn't enough, that we're not enough. If you have any voice in your head saying any one of those things, it's the enemy. It might be us because we've believed and we've agreed, but it's the enemy. And we start by telling him, no, this is the truth. And so our enemy is real. And yes, our enemy has a level of power. And he is waging war against us right now. But as we bear that in mind, we've also got to remember three very important things. And the first one is that our enemy is not equal to our God. That is very important to understand. Somewhere in our thinking, I blame Marvel movies, we think that good and evil are equal. And one will triumph. And we really hope against hope that it's going to be good. And usually at the end, some poor bloodied person drags themselves and good just makes it through. It's a load of nonsense. That is not how the cosmos works. The reason for that is, is because Satan is a created being. Who has more power, the creator or the created? He is an angel, a high-level angel, who rebelled against God and was cast out of heaven by who? Who has more power? There was only one being limping that day, and it happened in a second. In fact, 
when Satan is vanquished, God doesn't even do it. He, he calls some nameless rando angel. <laughs> Revelation 20, 1, 2, 3 says this. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. Who is this angel? It's not even Michael or Gabriel. It's just a rando angel with keys and a chain, and Satan is gone. Are, are you with me? I mean, we're having some fun, and that's good, but are you with me? There's no equalness between God and Satan. God has all the power, and he always has. The second thing we need to understand in this warfare is that we already fight from a place of victory. It's hard to grasp, isn't it? When stuff happens like tonight, when our life doesn't go the way we want, it's so easy to think, oh my gosh, he's winning, he's winning. Colossians 2.15 says, he disarmed, this is talking about Jesus at his resurrection, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Who did he disarm? The rulers and the authorities. Didn't we just read in Ephesians 6 verse 12 that that's our enemy, the rulers and the authorities? What does this arm mean? It's taken away their power. They have no weapons anymore. And so Satan is defeated. As we just read in Revelation 20, this is also really important to understand. Satan is king of nothing. Satan is not the king of hell. Hell is his punishment and his prison. He's already suffering his punishment. He is defeated. Thirdly, what we have to understand in this battle is that we have been armored and weaponized. God has equipped us and he has trained us for battle. We are ready for battle. He has given us all that we need to fight this battle. Now, about six weeks ago, I preached on the armor of God unwittingly, so I'm not going to put you through that sermon again, but I want to just talk a little bit about it. I actually preached that sermon in 10.15 this morning, so if you didn't catch me six weeks ago, you can get a much more extended version of it from this morning. Both the podcasts will be up, um, but I just want to say this. We have been weaponized, and the reality of God's armor is that it's God's armor. You know, I grew up Baptist, and somewhere along the line, we started, you know, because it's fun for kids. The armor is really great. You can see it. You can touch it. And somewhere along the line, we focus more on helmets and swords and shields and breastplates than we do on truth and righteousness and the gospel and salvation and faith and the word of God and the Holy Spirit. God's armor is that stuff, not Roman armor. And so when we talk about the armor, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word and the spirit of God. And I just want to remind you again that there is not a million little helmets, shields, swords, breastplates somewhere in heaven that when you pray and say, God, I put on the armor, say, angels come and dress you in it. There is no magic in this thing, okay? It's not wrong to pray for the armor, but if you're going to pray for the armor, that's what you're praying for. You better be standing on truth. You better be holding righteousness. You better be believing and unashamed of the gospel. Faith better be strong on you. Salvation and the Word and the Holy Spirit. But these are the weapons of our warfare. 
and he has not left us defenseless because every one of those things except the last two defend us. Only the last one is an offensive weapon. And apparently in sports, having a strong defense defense is way better than having a strong offense because that's where things go bad on the back line. I don't know anything about rugby record, so please, but I've listened carefully to commentary. Apparently that's where things go bad. Apparently in war, having a very strong defense is also better than an offense because you're not wasting time and lives on the front line. But that weapon, the Word of God and the Spirit of God, what is more powerful than that? But can I show you where you start using that weapon? It's a sword, right? The sword of the Word, which is the Spirit of God. That's where we start using the weapon. Because once we've sorted this out and this out, then we do this all the time. It just comes naturally. And also, we are not defenseless because God himself is our commander-in-chief. He is Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts gathered for battle, the Lord of army angels ready for battle. He is arrayed in his battle gear, and he is fighting for us. And so Paul does write, and he says, put on the whole armor of God, doesn't he? In fact, he says it twice. He says, put on the whole armor of God in verse 10, and then in verse 13, he says, take up the whole armor of God. So do you realize it's the whole armor, not the bits I like? Faith is great because I get a hot girlfriend. Yay, I'll do that. All the other stuff just feels like a lot of effort. We take up the whole armor of God, not just what we like. In my head, I like to believe I'm way more of a lover than a fighter. But I have to take up the whole armor of God. And what is the whole armor of God? Well, it is a full understanding of who God is. It's the full counsel of his wisdom and his grace and his love and his being. Everything he says, everything he is, everything he does, everything he intends, that is the full armor of God. And we've looked at some pictures in in Ephesians over the last couple of weeks that talk to us about who God is. In week one, Pastor Simon spoke to us about adoption, which um, Ashley did with such passion and grace, and we all feel a little convicted, and we're going to find out how to adopt a kid in one of those areas you mentioned. Go, Ashley. But Pastor Simon spoke about that so eloquently. But who is God in that image? He is Father. A loving, caring, present father. A father who disciplines because he won't let you die by getting hit by cars in the street or lose your hand because you keep playing with the oven. That's a good father who does that. Fathers who don't stop their kids from running into the street usually go to jail at some point. So he's a father. Pastor Sevier spoke to us about us being the temple of God, the congregation of faith. Well, who is God to that? He is our God. And we know we talk about God, God is a swear word in our culture, so sometimes we forget the power of that. Because in the Old Testament, your God was your identity. People created idols that were scary and fierce because they wanted to scare other people. Here's the problem, when they got onto a battlefield and somebody else's God was way scarier and bigger, well, that was the end of that. I mean, sorry, England, but... (laughs) Um, (laughs) Forgive me. Your God is your identity. So to say that he is our God is a very powerful statement. It's everything he is. And then last week, Pastor Loreco spoke to us that we are the bride. I was saying this morning, I would make the world's, literally the world's ugliest bride ever. 
But luckily, Jesus sees me inside, and I'm kind of stunning there. Um, sorry for you that just see me on the outside. Um, gorgeous. Um, <laughs> but, but who is God to us in that image? He is our friend and our lover. Our friend and our lover. I want to say, if you marry anybody who isn't at least one of those things, you've got a problem. If neither of them are there, stop it right now. He's our friend and our lover. And we have to learn how to embrace his friendship and embrace his love for us. It is so important that we understand these things. And so tonight we're talking about him as our commander in chief. And so this is the full understanding. This is the armor of God, the whole armor of God, that we know who he is and we are applying it to our lives. And so this morning, this is where I started talking about the armor of God. You can get that podcast. But I want to talk about one thing that really struck me and that I did some research on, on the scripture. The, the first verse there in, in verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And when I was reading it again this week, something just in me was like a bit irritated because it kind of sounds like, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You know those things we say to each other, oh, it's going to be fine. God is in control. God knows. And really all we're doing is we're just getting out of there as fast as we can. And I was a bit like, Lord, seriously, is this all you, be strong in the power of what? what? How? Where? How? <laughs> Sometimes I'm just not. And so I started thinking about it. And I realized that this is kind of the end. This is where Paul is beginning to close the book of Ephesians, and he's saying, finally, at the end of everything I've said to you, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And I realize that this is something we have to take responsibility for. He's not saying it just for fun. He's not just casting things off, because then he goes into a discussion of warfare, as we've just read. And as I was thinking about it, I realized that we cannot and we must not try and fight this battle alone. See, this isn't about us. And when we make it about us, when we think it's about all our strength and all our ability and all our work, that is where we get taken out. That's when we left bloodied with one leg at the end of a Marvel movie, trying to drag ourselves into victory. We cannot do it by ourselves. The only way we vanquish the enemy is by the power of God. It's not my power. There's stuff I have to do. I have to be present. I have to be positioned. I have to have faith. I have to trust. But only God's power vanquishes the enemy. And as I've just read to you, God wants to do that. You know, we are like those three-year-olds with little wooden swords running around in paper crowns. And God is right behind us in all his power and all his might. We're not going to accomplish one darn thing. I almost swear on the, swore on the stage. We are not going to accomplish anything. <laughs> But because God is behind us with the full force of everything he is, everything changes. But we have to make a decision that that's where we're fighting from. For some reason, we still have to pick up the sword. For some reason, we still got to put on that paper crown. For some reason, we've got to get out there and run around because that's called faith. See, God wants us to partner with him. He uses us. If I was God, everything would be so different. But God uses me as broken and crazy and weird and messed up as I am. He uses me. And it's the same for you. 
The word translated to be strong actually means be strengthened. And so to be strong in the Lord does not involve building up my own strength. It's not about my willpower. It's not about my motivation. It's not about me cheerleading myself into a thing. It's about being strengthened. Can you see the difference? It's a space where I have to continually let God come and strengthen me. We cannot strengthen ourselves. Rather, we must learn how to be empowered or be strengthened by God. Notice that Paul uses the phrase, in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Not um, rather than by the Lord or of the Lord. Because it's not something we go and do. We don't just have a, uh, what is a, a haka. We don't just do... <laughs> a big war dance, and then we feel all manly and strong and butch. I, yeah, I don't know. It looked more like a German. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I am more of a lover than a fighter. Um, <laughs> so it's not by him or of him. It's not that we go there and we drink a magic drink or we get... It's in him. You see, this is the secret of Christianity. Everything is relationship. We access nothing outside of relationship. And relationship for, with us cost God everything. So how dare we think we're gonna come into relationship with him and it costs us nothing. Now, it is free, but it requires everything at the same time. And so only when we are in union with God do we possess the appropriate power to overcome the enemy. Now hear me, it's good to pray, it's good to declare the, the word, it's good to shout. But if I do that outside of relationship, there is no value. And in our churches today, we look at people and they're shouting loud and jumping high and screaming. But all God cares about is relationship. If they're doing that with relationship, praise the Lord, it's going to be powerful. But if you're sitting on your bed shedding a quiet tear and just trusting God with all your heart, that has exactly the same power. Because it's about relationship. John 15 verse 45, Jesus prays for, for us and he, he talks to us and he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so our empowerment comes from being in Jesus. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But in Christ, we have at our disposal all the strength of his might. Do you understand that? I have fought battles too much by myself. Mostly because I believe the lie that I'm not good enough. That I don't have what it takes. That God actually doesn't love me that much. So I better shine myself up and make myself look good. Otherwise, I'm not going to get anything. All that ends up is a whole lot of disaster. And it's like me picking up that little, that little wooden sword and putting on that paper crown when all the resource of God is right over there. And all I have to do is submit and stand there and acknowledge it's not about me and I can't do it. We hate that as people. We hate being powerless. And ironically, the only way to be empowered in Christ is to acknowledge that I am powerless and to stand in him and watch him do it through me. Through Christ Jesus, the Lord's power makes us able and capable. Who wants to be able and capable? Me, yes, guys, good. Well, we're only gonna get it through Jesus Christ. 
Are you willing to submit tonight? <laughs> he strengthens us with everything we need for any task. And so I've spoken about the armor of God. That is truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, and the word and the spirit of God. We have to learn how to apply these things, how to hold these things close to our heart. We don't choose one over the other. We live in all of them at the same time. And so I'm that person who always goes, okay, God, so that's great. Be strong in the Lord. But how do I get that? How do I actually do that? And so I've got two ideas tonight that I want to share with you. Two ways that we can abide in Christ and be strengthened in God. First and foremost, praise and thanksgiving. Number one, praise and thanksgiving. One of my favorite psalms, it's a war psalm. It's written by King David. Lareko loves him dearly. I think he's great too. It's Psalm 20. You can turn in your Bible to Psalm 20. And it says this, The Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Selah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May he shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven and the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. And the bit I love about the psalm, well, I mean, besides all of it, is this, may he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. You see, when David and his army were out in the battlefield, he knew that the true battle was happening right there in the sanctuary where the priests were worshiping and praising and giving thanks to God 24-7. So that's actually the tabernacle of Moses, all the pictures I found of David's tabernacle, which is so weeny, I couldn't use them. But that's the Shekinah glory of God, a representation of how God would manifest 24-7 in David's tabernacle because of the praise and the thanksgiving. And David very quickly learned if he wanted victory on the battlefield, they better be praising and thanking in the sanctuary. When that didn't happen, everything else was a nightmare. You can go look it up. The battles before that were horrible. Am I right, Lyrical? You've studied this stuff. The battles after the tabernacle, oh my gosh, Israel's golden hour. And to give praise and thanksgiving takes true relationship because of this. Praise is to acknowledge who God is. Praise is to recognize who he is. Praise is telling God who he is. He hasn't forgotten. He isn't confused. But relationship shows me who God is, and then I tell him who he is, and that's praise. Thanksgiving is exactly the same thing. Whoever had somebody do something secret for you and you didn't realize it for a while? You couldn't give thanks until it manifested. Am I right? Praise and thanksgiving are about relationship. You cannot praise God, you cannot give him thanks until you know who he is and what he's doing. And so what happens is because our circumstances and situations can be a nightmare and just horrific, we let those things dictate to us. 
So we come to praise and worship and we clap and we dance and we sing, but in our hearts, we think he doesn't love us. Or maybe it's not even that, because I don't think it's, we, we acknowledge it. It's hard to say God doesn't love me. But what we think is maybe he loves other people a little more than me. Maybe they're more righteous than me. Maybe they didn't commit that sin I did last week. Maybe their parents were married when they gave birth to them. We think these things. And we think that makes us less in God's sight. He's not the problem, we are. And I've got to acknowledge that stuff to God. I've got to take all that identity stuff to him and sort it out with him. Because I'm never going to know who he is, which means I cannot praise him and give him thanks truly until I know what he says about me. And we think lies in our head. I was saying this morning, I, I stopped doing this because people got so freaked out, so I'm not going to make you do it. But what I would sometimes do is I'd say, look at the person next to you and tell them, you're not worthy. And everyone would be like, huh? Which is right. I can see Ashley's thinking that. But here's the problem. A hundred thousand times a day, we're saying that to ourselves. But I won't say it next to the person next to me because when I say it to them, I see how horrific that is. You know what? There's a word for that. It's hypocrisy. <laughs> so I'm not going to make you do that to each other. But let me help you. You're not worthy. That's the whole point. But he is. And your worthiness is completely irrelevant. His is all that matters. And the difference between me and somebody else, this is the only possible difference. They got it better than I did. And they ran in there a whole lot faster than I did. Because maybe they were way worse than I was. And they knew that he was their only hope. And their only help. Let us be like that. See, praise and thanksgiving are always and only ever a response to God. We never instigate praise and thanksgiving. We see him and we praise. He does something and we give thanks. It's only a response. So if you want more praise and thanksgiving in your life, start looking at God. Start recognizing him. Start seeing the goodness of your life. And I know there have been seasons in my life I will never ever give thanks for them. I will never give thanks for being sexually abused ever in my life, but that I can give him thanks in it because he didn't change. Nothing about him changed. Nothing about the way he related me changed. That's what I give thanks for. And somehow today, he uses it in my life. Yes, let's give him a hand because that's how good he is. And it's the same for you. It's the same for you. If we do not have an experiential understanding of God, we cannot truly praise and thank him. Verse three of that psalm says, may he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. David understood how to abide in the vine centuries before we see Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. David caught something of Jesus. In fact, he is a type and shadow of Jesus in the Old Testament. It's like he reached into Jesus' time and he pulled truth and reality into his time. That's why he's just amazing. But he learned how to abide. David made a habit of praising and thanking God seven times daily. And his worship was accompanied by sacrifices and offerings. We can't burn a cow every time we want to give thanks to God today. 
But sometimes it's going to require a little bit of a sacrifice. It's going to most certainly require the sacrifice of time. It's going to require the sacrifice of effort because we're going to have to turn away from everything that's consuming us and remember who God is. Maybe we only needed to do it once a day. David did it seven times. David understood how to abide, uh, so I said that, um, and this created an intimate relationship and experience of God, and that is what empowered him in the Lord to be strong in God and to be mighty in his power. Practicing the spiritual dis- disciplines of prayer and worship and Bible reading and Bible study will allow us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And so the first thing we've got to start getting more of in our life is praise and thanksgiving. And if you're like me and you've been in situations where you will never give thanks for what happened, you need to find something. Often the, the, the thing I thank God for is just thank you for giving me a sense of humor. Because after, yeah, because after everything that happened today, being able to laugh at myself is the only reason I'm killing myself right now. And also because I must probably screw that up and it would be really funny. So I'm laughing. And that's my second point. The second thing that's going to help us be strong in God is joy. Nehemiah 8 verse 10. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I like that there's fat and sweet wine. For me, it's more sweet cakes, but you know. It's a whole festive thing happening. It's like true joy. I mean, if sweet wine's your thing, we don't want to know, but God bless you. But yay. Standing in the attitude of God's joy strengthens our inner man in God. Joy in the midst of crisis and panic makes us stronger. And this is a revelation I received, and I'm going to tell you a testimony in a moment, in a moment to prove this. I believe that joy is the fruit of trust. So I woke up about a month ago on a Thursday morning, and I was drinking my coffee and looking blurry-eyed at my telephone, as so many of us do, and suddenly I was like, hmm, a telephone. I turned 48 last Wednesday, so there we go, at my mobile phone. (laughs) It's just a phone. Okay, I will remember that. Thank you. That was very unlit right there. Um... (laughs) I was looking at my phone, very bleary-eyed, and I noticed that four transactions had suddenly gone off my credit card between 4.30 and 5 in the morning, and I now was 17,000 rand in credit card debt. I think the true word for that is credit card fraud, okay? Now, Intando knows, I'm pretty easygoing, but there are moments where I panic, hey, you've, you've seen that, it's like, so like, even, even with stuff, like, the hub team's like, is Greg panicking? No, okay, we're fine. Um, now, literally the afternoon before, one of the ladies in our congregation, Mercia, um, was telling me about a sermon she'd heard about laughing at the enemy, and how we should just laugh at the enemy. Now, who knows, when I, when I did the math and realized that four transactions equaled 17,000 rand, laughing was not, I mean, there were other things that wanted to come out of my mouth, (laughs) laughter was not one of them, 
So I phoned the credit card, I did everything. You know how they are, there's totally non-committal, we'll investigate, you know, that's not making me feel any better. But this thing kept ringing in my head, and so I, I thought about it, and I thought, you know what, devil, I'm not giving you any more time. And I literally just started laughing, and I looked at the, at the online stores that had been gone to, one was a lingerie store for like 4,000 rand. I was laughing, I started laughing, and I laughed, and I laughed, and I laughed. Every now and again, there was a twinge, who knows we're human. Every now and again, it was like, oh my gosh, are they going to give me, God. And then I would just start laughing, and it got funnier and funnier the further we went on. Eventually, five days later, and Tanda, I wasn't panicking. You didn't even know this was happening. This is how not panicking I was. Five days later, I suddenly thought, ooh, they said somebody was going to call me. So I phoned them again. Then the story changed, you know, it's 10 to 12 days that something will happen. I started laughing a bit more. I laughed so hard, I forgot about it. On Thursday, I'm sitting in a meeting here, and suddenly my phone dings twice. And only an hour and a half later, I look at my phone and I see, oh, the two smaller transactions came back in. Who knows, there was another moment of panic. <laughs> okay, so I still owe half the amount now. I laughed again. Midnight that night, the other two came back. And I woke up to see that. And I was astounded at God's faithfulness. I really was. And that's just a testimony for you. But what the real testimony for me was, <laughs> only a pleasure, Leo. Um, for me was that laughing like that took away my fear and my anxiety, that I didn't worry half as much as I would have before. And it's something I'm endeavoring to do. And I think there's some things it's really hard to laugh at. But I kind of feel if we can get it right, it's going to help. And this is why joy is the fruit of trust. Because when I was thinking about it, my, every time I wanted to panic and I thought I'm going to laugh, I started trusting God. And the trust was, Lord, if, it, if, none of, if I had to pay 17,000 rand, I was like, God, somehow you're going to do it. It's going to be okay. If that's all the enemy can do for me is steal 17,000 rand, actually, I'm fine. I mean, I'm in debt, but I'm fine. <laughs> you know, we all need to laugh more. Laughter has proven health benefits. We really need to laugh more. But... The point I'm trying to make is that in the book of Psalms, we see three instances of God laughing. And this is just in the book of Psalms. There's other places in the prophets and stuff where we also see God laughing. But in Psalms, Psalm 2 verse 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Psalm 37 verse 13. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. Psalm 59 verse 8. But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. All three of these is God just looking at his enemy and laughing hard. Why? Because Satan is an idiot. And he's never going to win. He can inflict damage. He can inflict hurt. But seriously, this, you know that seriously, you know those, all those gifs were sent each other seriously? Seriously, Satan. And this is where God laughs. And if we can learn to trust a God who laughs at his enemies, it's not going to be long and we're going to be laughing and joy is going to come back. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. In fact, the time you're going to have real joy is when there's no happiness. That's, that's the best option for real joy. And I want to practice that more in my life. And we are the army of God, and this is a communal reality, and we need to help each other with all these things. You know, the one thing the Roman army, armor doesn't talk about is your back. And I think that's because I've got your back, and you've got mine, and you've got each other's back. 
and we need each other, and we need to be spiritual family. This is what the whole point of Ephesians is, that the church is you and I. It's not a building. It's great that you can sit at home and watch God TV and feel the thrills and be blessed, but this is the church. And it's not all good because I'm not all good and Ashley isn't all good and Ntondoma certainly is not all good. Um, And so we're gonna rub each other the wrong way, but what that gives us opportunity to do is to learn and to grow. And so if you wanna push in to God, you've gotta push in with us. God deals with us as individuals, but he deals with us as his church. He is the head of the church. Not the head of knuckles and toes and eyes. He's the head of the body. And that's all of us together. And so my prayer for us tonight is that we will be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And maybe just where you are, maybe you realize you need to find something to praise him for. You need to find something to give thanks for. Maybe you need to laugh at a situation in your life for a moment. And yeah, please come up to Volker. And let's just do that for a minute. You can do it alone, but... Maybe trust somebody. Maybe the praise is just telling somebody, you know, it sucks right now, but I know God's gonna come through. So let's just practice that. So Lord, we wanna be strong in you. We wanna be strong in the power of your mind. We wanna be an army that takes ground. We wanna be soldiers who stand firm in the evil day, Lord. And Lord, right now, would you help us to just find that thing we can give thanks for? Would you help us to just trust you that you are the God who laughs at our enemies and we can laugh with you and see something come. And so as you're, as you're led, just do that. Get, into, get with one other person or do it by yourself. Whatever, I'm gonna give you three or four minutes to do that and we'll close the service. I'm just gonna invite Marsha to come up and close. Thanks guys, thanks for listening to me.